Thank you so much, Pastor Tom, for the opportunity and the privilege to be here and to speak with all of you here at City Church. I also want to thank my father-in-law, Pastor Greg. He is amazing, not just as a pastor, but as a father-in-law, a mentor, and someone that you can bounce ideas off. He is remarkable. But I feel very privileged to be here today to have the opportunity to share on one of your values. This value is connecting with others. There's so much beauty in the buildup even in worship about this, even having other ministries and people from other churches trying to come together to see the Lord's purposes unfold here on the earth. In this concept of connecting with one another, I'm gonna share through a message that I've titled True Fellowship. And I picked the word fellowship because it kind of best describes the concept that we're trying to unfold through scripture here this morning. We'll hear other words like community, the body, unity, all of it's trying to consume and get to a piece of something that we don't really have a good English word for. And that's the word that's used in the Bible in the Greek, which is the term koinonia. The word koinonia, it means fellowship. It means unity, it means community, all of those things, but it has this very remarkable ability to be a verb. It's actionary. To fellowship or to have koinonia is actually the action of multiple things coming together and forming a single entity. And that's what we are looking for in this value of connecting with others, is looking to see how can we have fellowship with one another. This concept of fellowship with one another, you've staged your values so right. Come as you are, connect with God, then connect with others. It's kind of the next tier level. Once you've found the Lord, now you need to learn how to be his people and be with his people. And I have this uh, strong pressing on my heart and I'm certain I'm not the only one, that the time is now to see the church unified again under our King and Lord Jesus Christ. And for all the things that have created dividing lines to melt away under his beauty. The light of his appearing, his face, it's radiant like sun, sun at the noonday. That's why John fell dead at his feet, because he's so Radiant, and it should melt away all the division in his body and produce something precious, which is fellowship. So let's take a look. We want to look at the early church to be able to see how can we step back into fellowship with one another. So if you have your Bibles, you can get them out. There's scriptures that are on the screen. Your media team is amazing. I gave them the complete runaround on all the scriptures this morning, and they still managed to get things on the screen, so thank you guys so much for your efforts and your service. But we're going to start by looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So let's start by praying. We'll get there, and then we'll dive and unpack some of these things a little bit. So Father, here we are. Here we are, your people, those called by your namesake. We thank you that we are bond servants of love, that we are not our own, 
that all that are here by your name, we've been bought with a price that we could not pay, that we could not muster, but you paid for us. And now we enter into a life of serving, of being filled up, of surrender to a God that wants to pour back into us. How amazing are you? So we ask, we're here, pour your love, fill us up so we can learn how to take that same love and express it to others. We ask in your son's name, the one that showed us the way, our example, Jesus Christ, in his name, amen. Acts 2, something significant happens. Anyone want to guess? Pentecost. Pentecost happens in Acts 2. This is a fulfillment of Joel 2. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Some of the best scriptures in the entire book. It's hard to say. I'll say that about every scripture I mention, so I'll stop saying it. It's so good, though. And you see this happening in Acts 2. Jesus says this crazy statement, it's better that I go, so the spirit will come. The spirit comes. Peter preaches the best sermon ever in front of people that want to kill him, saying, you killed God. And then they're like, well, what do I need to do to be saved? He says, repent, be baptized. It leads to 3,000 people in one day coming to the faith. It's remarkable, the work of the Spirit. And then they devote themselves to something. All 3,000 devote themselves to four things. The apostles' teachings, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. That's a pretty exclusive list. Fellowship is up there with the apostles' teaching, which at this stage is the only way they know the gospel, the only way they know the good news of what Jesus has done. To prayers, that's pretty important. Praying, talking to God, building a relationship with him. Eating, that's the other thing that made the cut. You can eat. We're going to listen to the apostles' teachings. We're going to pray, and you can also eat while we're doing that. And lastly, fellowship. This is how highly fellowship ranked in the early church. And friends, I am saddened to say that it has not held that value in the church. Fellowship has not maintained a place of devotion at large in the body of Christ. And I think the Lord is ready to change that. Here at City Church and beyond because he has a big C church he's coming back for as a bride. And fellowship has to take place in order for that to happen. You ask the modern day believer, what is fellowship? Their response is probably going to be, I don't know, but we have a hall for it. (laughs) Fellowship has kind of become the backslap greeting. Hey, brother, good to see you. How about that game? It really stunk. Hey, how are you today? Oh, I'm great. How are you today? I'm great. Behind the scenes, life is falling apart. I just lost it on all of my kids. Shoved them in the car and said, you're going to church now. And then apologized on the way, maybe, or was still too mad until after church, I'll have to apologize. But you're not going to say that to anyone. We bottle that stuff down at church. The Lord says, nah. I got a different plan, and it's beautiful, and it's full, and it starts with this concept of koinonia, fellowship, fellowship. So we're going to look at the early church in more scriptures. I just want to say the early church is a model for us, 
but it's not a blueprint. Some of you may be excited about that. Some of you are still waiting for me to finish my sentence so you know what it means. The early church as a blueprint means go home, sell everything you got, let's all move into a commune together, and we're good. It's going to be a difficult conversation with your spouse on the way home. We've got to sell your wedding ring, the house. Really, we've got to sell everything and move in? I don't want to go to hell. What? I don't know. What do we do? No, it's a blueprint because the early church was yielded to the Spirit. The early church knew that everything they had was a gift from God, therefore it was no longer theirs. It's open-handed. Anything the Spirit asks, they say yes. Any way he directs, they said yes. This is how you actually become a body, is by yielding yourself to something higher than you. In this case, it's the indwelling Spirit. The same Spirit, Ephesians tells us, that raised Christ from the dead is wanting to make you a body of believers. And our blueprint of the early church is one thing, to say yes. Yes, Lord. I'll say yes to fellowship. Because you know what? Most of the time it's not super easy. It's not very fun. It's not natural because we have brokenness in us. Sin has come in. The natural way we're made is for fellowship. So when you move to it, you start to see it. It starts to become easier. It starts to become life-giving to you. So this concept of fellowship, I want to start by looking at two areas that are key to us today because we want to look at the truths of fellowship from the early church, from the scriptures, and we want to apply it to ourselves today. And there's two concepts, two key truths to being in fellowship with one another that I fear is often lost or has gone undercover that we want to bring to the surface. And then we're going to talk about why fellowship is good for you. How us obeying the Lord leads to something good for you. Isn't that amazing? He works that way. He says, come, follow me, and you're blessed by it. It might be hard. The first step might be tough, but then life comes in with it. So I want to talk about two things that fellowship is. The first is that fellowship is a command, not a suggestion. I've lived my life for a long period of time as seeing community as optional or essentially something that's done on an as-needed basis. And I happen to be the kind of person that doesn't really need it. So, check, done. I have my brother, I had my wife when we got married, and it's like, cool, don't need anyone else. But we're going to look at some scriptures to see this isn't the way the Lord intended it. Fellowship isn't about you, whether you need it or not. Fellowship is about what God has to say. So let's look at what God says. We're going to take a look at John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. 34 through 35 says this. These are red letter words, which means who said them? Jesus. It's just a good church answer. So good job, everyone. A new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you. Who is this guy that has authority to do this? Put yourself in this time with Jesus. He's the best. We had to make so many people mad, right? This new commandment I give you. It's like, who are you? You're from Nazareth, dude. This new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. 
You also are to love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for me. I live that way. I've lived that way, church. People know I'm his disciples because I love him. It's not the words of Jesus. How will they know you're his? You love one another. All you Bible scholars out there that are like, I know there's four Greek words for love. What's they talking about? It's agape love. God's love for us, unconditional love, is what he's expecting out of you for others. It's a big ask. But it's a command of Jesus, and this is what's beautiful. Every command given by him, the Spirit gives you grace to walk into. The Spirit is meant to teach us all things pertaining him, and he'll help you to walk into this beautiful, beautiful calling. I want to take, we can take a quick look also at Matthew 22, 36 through 40. This is the summation of the great commandment. Jesus is asked, I love Matthew basically 21 through 26, but all these times where Jesus is getting questioned, they're trying to quiz him, and this is one. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment there is? Like, we got him now. He won't know this one. And he says, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In this, all the law and the prophets are fulfilled. This was shocking to the hearer. I think it's still shocking to us. I think we hear, but we don't listen. Wait a second. I thought the commandment was to not kill my neighbor. Wait, I just thought I didn't have to steal from them or want their stuff. Now I have to love them? Yeah, you love them. And when you love them, you won't kill them. (laughs) When you love them, you won't steal from them. When you love them, you won't covet what they have. You'll actually be excited for them and say, wow, what a blessing for you. Thank you, Jesus. Love is the fulfillment of the law. To love God and to love others. Fellowship is a command. It's not a recommendation, church. I'm asking by the Spirit to just flip that mindset we have. There's a really big lie that's pervasive in the world right now, but it's in the church too. It's significant. It's this. If you're introverted, you don't have to hang out with people. You get a hall pass on community. Well, I'm just not that extrovert kind of dude, so it's easy for everyone else. Nothing's easy. All the commandments, none of them are easy. You have to do them, though. You have to step into them despite what your preferences are. You say yes. Introverts, it's the same commandment to you. You don't get the hall pass. I'm sorry. Community, fellowship, it's a command, not a recommendation. The next thing that community is, is it's unity, not tolerance. Fellowship is unity, not tolerance. 1 John 1 through 7 is some of my favorite scriptures there are. John just has such a beautiful way of writing and sharing about who the Lord is. But he sets up this concept that's so gorgeous, which is we, we've actually seen the one from the beginning. We've heard him. We've handled him. 
and we've had fellowship with him. And now we're inviting you to fellowship with us with him. And then he goes on to say, if you walk in the light, you have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. Kind of like, John, what are you on about? John's on about the gospel. John's setting up from days of old until current time. This is how it works, people. Your, your, your values mimic this. You come into an experience with the Lord. Come as you are. You see him. You handle him. He's real to you. And then you learn how to connect with him. You learn how to fellowship with him. And then if you want to walk in the light, you actually start to have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. Because church, hear this. When you start to have fellowship, you're going to need a lot of the blood. You're going to need a lot of forgiveness with an extra side of forgiveness. Because fellowship comes with offense. And we're going to get to this a little bit. Because what you're after is unity, not tolerance. And what John is speaking of is that by the blood, you now have the ability to have unity. Outside of it, it's not possible. We also see this gorgeous command in the high priestly prayer by Jesus, John 17, 20 through 23. We'll read this. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Such a beautiful prayer by Jesus. But here's the key takeaway, friends. Our unity has one source. We're unified through Jesus. We're unified through our love for Jesus. Do you know what happens when you have a people, you say, be unified? Everyone naturally goes to the people that are exactly like him. You just tend to kind of go to that group that seems the exact same and thinks the same as you, and then you have unity, but not with him. Psalms 133 The entire psalm is very beautiful. It's just three short verses. But it says how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. It's like oil on the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother, onto his robes. And in that unity is the blessing of life forevermore. Such a gorgeous psalm. But friends, we miss when this happens. We don't see what's really in this psalm. People of Israel delivered out of 400 years of slavery. Moses goes up the mountain. He gets the commandments. As he's coming down, God's like, I got to warn you, Moses. The people have gone crazy. They've made for themselves golden calves. They're worshiping it. They're even saying it was the calves that delivered them out of Egypt. And God's like, yeah, I might have to do something about them. And Moses is like, don't. Don't do it because everyone's going to think that you brought them out of Egypt to kill them. He goes, it's fine, we'll figure it out. And then Moses gets there and sees, he's like, oh no, someone, let's grab some swords. We're going to war. It's offensive. It's 
awful. It is evil. And Aaron led it. In a few short days, the Lord is anointing him as his high priest. And Moses is pouring anointing oil over his head saying, you are set apart to minister before the Lord in his holy place. Then you see how beautiful it is for brothers to dwell in unity. Unity that overcomes offense. Unity that overcomes sin. Unity that overcomes division and family. Unity that can break through the dividing wall that has separated the body of Christ. The Lord said, I have one body, many members. And we've said, well, this member is going to have this sect. This member is going to have this sect. He said, no, I want one. I want one. Come together in me. If Moses can dump oil on his brother's head saying, this one's set apart for the ministry of the Lord. There's a proverb that says, it's a glory to a man to overlook an offense. Unity happens in diversity. There's a, a, a beautiful verse that says, as long as it's possible with you, be at all peace with men. But that's with all men. In the church, you're supposed to love each other. In the church, you're supposed to have unity. It goes beyond that peace level. You have this, I don't hate this person, so I think I'm good. No, that's not his goal. It's not what he died for, a bride that just doesn't happen to hate each other. A bride that loves him and shows the world his love by how they love one another. So here's the thing. I love this place. I love Pastor Tom, Pastor Greg. You guys are amazing. And I'm seeing this happen, and it's exhilarating to me. And I just want to encourage you in it. You are lifting up Jesus. Jesus says in John 3, like the serpent raised in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And when he does, he draws all men to himself. As you lift up Jesus, as you say, we are a church that says, this is the most high. This is the one we live for. This is the one we serve. This is the one we gave our lives for. Just him, not your preferences, not your other thoughts, not your political party, but him. He will draw all men to himself. That's going to get messy because he's no respecter of persons. He says, I want you to come to me, and he will create diversity. As you continue to lift Jesus up, he'll draw all men to himself, and then you say, Spirit, help us to keep the unity. You engage with the Spirit, and you say, help us to keep the unity, because you are drawing all men to ourselves, yourself, and what's concerning is that because we don't like diversity, we start to block things out. That doesn't quite fit this. It doesn't quite fit that. Not saying we're going to look at it. There's shaping. There's molding. You can't just come as you are and live as you are. Eventually, you need to change and start looking like Jesus. And unity becomes easier and easier and easier. But as you lift up Jesus, he will bring diversity. You say, Spirit, help me keep the unity. Help us to overcome the things that are different about us. So community, it's unity, not just tolerance. It's a command, it's not just a suggestion. But what's beautiful about the Lord is every command he makes, there's fruit for you. When you walk in his commands, it's life to you. Psalm 119 is one of my favorite Psalms. It's how pleasant are your words, O Lord. It's life to me. The opening of your word, it unveils light, it exposes the darkness in me, and then I radiate your light back. His commands are perfect. 
His laws are right and true. And as you walk into them, you will experience the gloriousness of his presence and his nearness. As he says in the Psalms, at my right hand are pleasures evermore. My left is the fullness of joy. You get something, even though the pursuit is him, he gives you so much more. So I want to talk about why you need to be in fellowship, why you need to be in community, why I need to be in fellowship. Three reasons why. I'll give you a free fourth. Obedience. (laughs) One reason is just to obey the Lord. The first reason is because the Lord has done something marvelous. He's decided that through us, through fellowship with one another, his glories will be unveiled to the ends of the earth. His effectiveness is tied to unity, if you can believe it. His power is different when you're unified than when you're alone. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive, this is Jesus' words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Western church, we've got it wrong. We've said, hey, you, there's a calling for you, and there's a calling for you, and maybe even you, hopefully you. No, there's a calling for you. It's a plural you that's being commissioned for this. And we have individualized this and said, Lord, how are you commissioning me to go on my mission for you? He never made it that way, friends. It's his body that's meant to show the world who he is. His power is unveiled through fellowship through unity. You see this beautiful thing as as Peter is ready to deliver this sermon. It says in Acts 2.14, Peter rising by himself in isolation because he had all the power, all the authority, and he was the man of God. No, Peter rising with the 11. There's full support. There's full unity. They had just spent a long time together in that room in prayer. They're fellowshipping with the Lord and with each other. And out of that, he delivers this message. He delivers this word of the Lord out of unity. Acts 4.31. Acts 4.31 says this. The disciples have basically had one of their first beating sessions. They're telling about Jesus. They get flogged. They're warned to not speak of these things. And you get amazing responses like, well, whether it's right for us to listen to you or God, you decide, but I can't stop speaking of what I've seen and what I've heard. But then they're gathering together to say, what do we do? They're trying to kill us. And Acts 4.31 says this, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They gathered in a room. They gathered together because of oppression, because they were being chased down, because they don't know what to do. And together they are praying and the Lord shakes the place and they're emboldened to go out and preach the good news. What's changed in their circumstances? Someone ran in and was like, hey guys, the Jews don't want to kill you anymore. We're all good. Come on. What changed is they met in unity and the Lord shook the house. Friends, I'm praying he's going to do it again. I want him to do it for you guys. 
I want that to happen for City Church. A unity, a heart cry to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And he's just so excited. He shakes the house and he emboldens you to go out to all the highways and byways and say, there's gonna be a wedding feast of the lamb and you're invited and you're invited. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Out of unity, out of fellowship that he empowers and emboldens with his spirit, but it has to happen in unity. Our individual power, friends, it's not the same. This is where the Lord tells us that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. I'm with them. It's good for you to be in fellowship because it equips you for effectiveness in his ministry, in his work, to join the purposes and plans for what the Lord is doing. The second reason is that it keeps us in the light. This is why I need fellowship. This is why you need fellowship, is it keeps you in the light. There's a man named Art Katz that has made a significant impact on my life. And he tells a story that is quite haunting. He used to lead a church in the East Coast. He was gone for many years doing other ministries and teachings, and he came back to that church somewhere around five years later. And when he came to the church, there were two prominent women that were there in the ministry when he left that were doing amazing things for God, signs and wonders, prophetic ministry, thriving, growing the body. And when he came back, they were both caught up in adultery. They were both living sexually immoral lifestyles. And Art asked this question, when did it happen? And he proposes two options. This was either always in them and going on, and there was no one close enough to know it. Or it started setting in, and there was no one close enough to know it. The wind, friends, doesn't matter. What matters is there was no one close enough to know it. We need fellowship to be in the light. Men, if you don't have fellowship, I guarantee you, you will fail and fail significantly. Men, if you do not have fellowship, I guarantee you, you will fail and fail significantly. We need brothers in the Lord that will call us out and say, how are you doing? How's your relationship with your wife? How are you doing with the issue of pornography? Everyone's like, oh, don't say that word. Everything else is saying that word. I'm so grateful for the ministry that they're doing that they spoke of earlier. Men, you need to be with other men that are willing to ask the hard question. Women, you need to be with other women. They're asking you about your life. That you can actually say, no, I freaked out on all the kids in the car today. And they could say, oh, me too. Let's pray for each other. We need help. Grace, grace, grace. You need fellowship to walk in the light. I am telling you, it is so hard to do on your own. You will not be capable of it. Others will help greatly. There's a beautiful scripture in Hebrews 3.13 that talks about exhorting to one another every day as long as it is called today. Why do we need it every day? Because we just need it every day. This is something that I'm so excited for this opportunity for you to do, join a connect group or community group if you are not because I'm telling you one Sunday isn't enough to keep you in the light. You need touch points with a larger community but you also need them individually. Find those friends, find those close relationships that you can actually have people that know what your life is like every day. 
that they can know you, they can see you, they can know where things are at. And I love what they say in Hebrews, the author says, do it for as long as it's called today. That's forever if you don't know. There's not an end to that. Second Peter 2, 4 through 5 has this amazing statement that you are living stones that are supposed to be knitted and fit together to build a house for the Lord. You are a dwelling place for the spirit of the living God. But do you know God wants a house? He wants a house that's not just you. He wants a house built up of living stones, many living stones. Why are you a stone? Because you're rough and you need to be polished. Amen? I'm rough and I need to be polished. And I need other people for that process to happen. I'm on my own. I don't have anywhere I need to fit in. I don't have a role. I don't have other people to be able to see what's wrong in me. I look pretty good. When I see I'm supposed to fit in there, that's a lot of shaving off that's going to have to happen. But Lord, it's it to your good for him to work on you, for him to polish you, for him to say, yeah, I want this softened out. I want this smooth. I want you to be a part of the house I'm building. And to do that, you've got to come in contact with other people. The last reason why it's good for you to be in fellowship, why you need to be in fellowship is that you need to be known. You need to be known. The last time Kate and I were in Wisconsin was in 2021, in the spring. And when we were here, we got to tell all of Kate's family that we were expecting our fourth child. I have three boys. Kate and I have three boys. My brother has three boys. My sister has four boys. My other sister has four boys. We found out we were having a girl. My mind was blown. And, and I've always had this promise because my name is Caleb, and I've always looked up to Caleb in the Bible. And one of the things Caleb did is he gave an equal portion of his inheritance to his daughter. So I've always felt the Lord telling me I was going to have a daughter. And I started to not believe it, boy three. And then we got pregnant with a girl. I was like, this is the fulfillment of these promises. And then Kate and I entered into the most spiritually charged season of our life. The Lord showed up to Kate in a dream and gave us our daughter's name, Josephina Joy Miller. We'd call her Josie for short. Kate suffers from an autoimmune disease that had been really crippling at that point. And the name Josie means my Lord has healed me. And so he started speaking to us about healing, the promises that were coming with this little girl. And we have an amazing community that love us, want to know us, that we know and know intimately. And so we started to tell them what the Lord was speaking to us. And we built up a community of faith they were so excited of what the Lord was going to do. And on June 6th, at 20 weeks, we lost that little girl. And everything that felt like was stable came upside down. And everything seemed shook. And Kate and I entered the hardest season of our life. And my sister described it this way. We went into a dark tunnel. And the only person that could be with us is the Lord. But our community could bang on the outside and say, we're here, we're here, we're here, until we made it through, and they did. They did, because they didn't give us this, it's gonna be okay, everything's fine, I'm sure there's a reason. They didn't say, oh, what happened, what'd you do for this to cause this? They didn't say, it's gonna get better, just move on. They wept, 
They cried their own tears for our daughter. They came around us and just said, I'm so sorry. I'm hurting with you and I'm hurting for you. We wouldn't have made it through that season without the people that love us. And I fell in love with the Lord. I fell in love with Kate more than I ever have through that season. And I fell in love with our friends and our community. And I learned if I didn't have fellowship, if I wasn't willing to be known, if I wasn't able to share the glory that was supposed to happen and then the difficulty of the loss with other people, I would be not, I couldn't experience it myself. It would be stifled. It would be cut short. It'd be stuffed down. And my daughter Lucy is here. And a year ago, they threw a crazy party for her. (laughs) When we found out we were having a girl and we were a month away from the birth, Kate had a baby shower that Sandy was able to be at. And it was a rager, but it was also a worship fest of worshiping the Lord for what he had done. We didn't need it. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. The Lord just gave us a gift because he loves us. But we needed to be known in that season. And I'm telling you right now, you need fellowship because if you haven't walked through the dark night of the soul, you will. I hate to break it to you. There will be that moment where it says, you feel everything's too dark. Everything's too closed in. Everything's too shut off. And you'll need those knocks on the outside saying, no, there's still light out here. His glory's still shining. He's still saving. He's still moving. He's still working. And we're here, we're here, we're here. I just want to implore you, as Tom will come up for this altar call, this response for the groups, you need fellowship. He's created it for you. And out of it, you'll see amazing things. But more than anything, he wants us to live as he has lived. The triune God in perfect community and fellowship. That's why Jesus said, make them one as you and I are one. So I implore you to have a response in your heart that says, Lord, I'm ready. If you're not there yet, if you don't have that community, I just challenge you. I'm ready to move into the next stage. Fellowship with you, but now I'm ready for fellowship with one another.